Section 46 of Jean Christophe, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jean Christophe, Volume 1, by Romain Roland. Translated by Gilbert Canaan. Revolt 2, Part 2. Next morning he went to see the actress at the little third-rate hotel in which the impresario had quartered her with her comrades, while the great actress had put up at the best hotel in the town. He was conducted to a very untidy room, where the remains of breakfast were left on an open piano, together with hairpins and torn and dirty sheets of music. In the next room Ophelia was singing at the top of her voice, like a child, for the pleasure of making a noise. She stopped for a moment when her visitor was announced to ask merrily in a loud voice, without ever caring whether she were heard through the wall, "'What does he want? What is his name? Christoph? Christoph what? Christoph Kraft? What a name!' She repeated it two or three times, rolling her R's terribly. "'It is like a swear,' she swore. "'Is he young or old? Pleasant? Very well, I'll come.' She began to sing again. "'Nothing is sweeter than my love,' while she rushed about her room, cursing a tortoise-shell pin which had got lost in all the rubbish. She lost patience, began to grumble, and roared. Although he could not see her, Christophe followed all her movements on the other side of the wall in imagination, and laughed to himself. At last he heard steps approaching. The door was flung open, and Ophelia appeared. She was half-dressed, in a loose gown which she was holding about her waist. Her bare arms showed in her wide sleeves. Her hair was carelessly done, and locks of it fell down into her eyes and over her cheeks. Her fine brown eyes smiled, her lips smiled, her cheeks smiled, and a charming dimple in her chin smiled. In her beautiful, grave, melodious voice she asked him to excuse her appearance. She knew that there was nothing to excuse, and that he could only be very grateful to her for it. She thought he was a journalist, come to interview her. Instead of being annoyed when he told her that he had come to her entirely of his own accord, and because he admired her, she was delighted. She was a good girl, affectionate, delighted to please, and making no effort to conceal her delight. Christophe's visit and his enthusiasm made her very happy. She was not yet spoiled by flattery. She was so natural in all her movements and ways, even in her little vanities and her naive delight in giving pleasure, that he was not embarrassed for a single moment. They became old friends at once. He could jabber a few words of French, and she could jabber a few words of German. After an hour they told each other all their secrets. She never thought of sending him away. The splendid, gay, southern creature, intelligent and warm-hearted, who would have been bored to tears with her stupid companions and in a country whose language she did not know, a country without the natural joy that was in herself, was glad to find someone to talk to. As for Christophe, it was an untold blessing for him to meet the free-hearted girl of the Midi, filled with the life of the people in the midst of his narrow and insincere fellow-citizens. He did not yet know the workings of such natures which, unlike the Germans, have no more in their minds and hearts than they show, and often not even as much. 
but at the least she was young she was alive she said frankly rawly what she thought she judged everything freely from a new and fresh point of view in her it was possible to breathe a little of the northwest wind that sweeps away mists she was gifted uneducated and unthinking she could at once feel with her whole heart and be sincerely moved by things which were beautiful and good and then a moment later she would burst out laughing she was a coquette and made eyes she did not mind showing her bare arms and neck under her half-open gown she would have liked to turn christophe's head but it was all purely instinctive there was no thought of gaining her own ends in her and she much preferred to laugh and talk blithely to be a good fellow a good chum without ceremony or awkwardness she told him about the underworld of the theatre her little sorrows the silly susceptibilities of her comrades the bickerings of jezebel so she called the great actress who took good care not to let her shine he confided his sufferings at the hands of the germans she clapped her hands and played chords to him she was kind and would not speak ill of anybody but that did not keep her from doing so and while she blamed herself for her malice when she laughed at anybody she had a fund of mocking humour and that realistic and witty gift of observation which belongs to the people of the south she could not resist it and drew cuttingly satirical portraits with her pale lips she laughed merrily to show her teeth like those of a puppy and dark eyes shone in her pale face which was a little discoloured by grease-paint. They noticed suddenly that they had been talking for more than an hour. Christophe proposed to come for Corinne, that was her stage name, in the afternoon and show her over the town. She was delighted with the idea, and they arranged to meet immediately after dinner. At the appointed hour he turned up. Corinne was sitting in the little drawing-room of the hotel with a book in her hand, which she was reading aloud. She greeted him with smiling eyes, but did not stop reading until she had finished her sentence. Then she signed to him to sit down on the sofa by her side. "'Sit there,' she said, "'and don't talk. I am going over my part. I shall have finished in a quarter of an hour.' She followed the script with her fingernail, and read quickly and carelessly like a little girl in a hurry. He offered to hear her her words. She passed him the book and got up to repeat what she had learned." she floundered and would repeat the end of one sentence four times before going on to the next she shook her head as she recited her part her hairpins fell down and all over the room when she could not recollect sometimes some word she was as impatient as a naughty child sometimes she swore comically or she would use big words one word with which she apostrophized herself was very big and very short Christophe was astonished by the mixture of talent and childishness in her. She would produce moving tones of voice quite aptly, but in the middle of a speech into which she seemed to be throwing her whole heart, she would say a whole string of words that had absolutely no meaning. She recited her lesson like a parrot, without troubling about its meaning, and then she produced burlesque nonsense. She did not worry about it. When she saw it, she would shout with laughter— at last she said, Zut! snatched the book from him, flung it into a corner of the room, and said, Holidays! The hour has struck. Now let us go out. He was a little anxious about her part, and asked, You think you will know it? She replied confidently, Certainly. What is the prompter for? 
She went into her room to put on her hat. Christophe sat at the piano while he was waiting for her and struck a few chords. From the next room she called, "'Oh, what is that? Play some more. How pretty it is!' She ran in, pinning on her hat. He went on. When he had finished, she wanted him to play more. She went into ecstasies with all the little arch exclamations habitual to French women, which they make about Tristan and a cup of chocolate equally. It made Christophe laugh. It was a change from the tremendous, affected, clumsy exclamations of the Germans. They were both exaggerated in different directions. One made a mountain out of a molehill, the other made a molehill out of a mountain. The French was not less ridiculous than the German, but for the moment it seemed more pleasant because he loved the lips from which it came. Corinne wanted to know what he was playing, and when she learned that he had composed it, she gave a shout. He had told her during their conversation in the morning that he was a composer, but she had hardly listened to him. She sat by him and insisted on his playing everything that he had composed. Their walk was forgotten. It was not mere politeness on her part. She adored music, and had an admirable instinct for it, which supplied the deficiencies of her education. At first he did not take her seriously, and played his easiest melodies. But when he had played a passage by which he set more store, and saw that she preferred it too, although he had not said anything about it, he was joyfully surprised with the naive astonishment of the germans when they meet a frenchman who is a good musician he said odd how good your taste is i should never have thought it corinne laughed in his face he amused himself then by selecting compositions more and more difficult to understand to see how far she would go with him but she did not seem to be put out by his boldness and after a particularly new melody which Christophe himself had almost come to doubt because he had never succeeded in having it accepted in Germany, he was greatly astonished when Corinne begged him to play it again, and she got up and began to sing the notes from memory almost without a mistake. He turned towards her and took her hands warmly. "'But you are a musician!' he cried. She began to laugh and explained that she had made her debut as a singer in provincial opera houses." but that an impresario of touring companies had recognized her disposition towards the poetic theatre and had enrolled her in its services. He exclaimed, "'What a pity!' "'Why?' said she. "'Poetry also is a sort of music.' She made him explain to her the meaning of his leader. He told her the German words, and she repeated them with easy mimicry, copying even the movements of his lips and eyes as he pronounced the words— when she had these to sing from memory, then she made grotesque mistakes, and when she forgot, she invented words, guttural and barbarously sonorous, which made them both laugh. She did not tire of making him play, nor he of playing for her and hearing her pretty voice. She did not know the tricks of the trade, and sang a little from the throat like little girls, and there was a curious fragile quality in her voice that was very touching. She told him frankly what she thought. Although she could not explain why she liked or disliked anything, there was always some grain of sense hidden in her judgment. The odd thing was that she found least pleasure in the most classical passages which were most appreciated in Germany. She paid him a few compliments out of politeness, but they obviously meant nothing. 
As she had no musical culture, she had not the pleasure which amateurs and even artists find in what is already heard, a pleasure which often makes them unconsciously reproduce, or, in a new composition, like forms or formulae which they have already used in old compositions. Nor did she have the German taste for melodious sentimentality, or at least her sentimentality was different. Christophe did not yet know its failings. She did not go into ecstasies over the soft, insipid music preferred in Germany. She did not single out the most melodious of his leader, a melody which he would have liked to destroy because his friends, only too glad to be able to compliment him on something, were always talking about it. Corinne's dramatic instinct made her prefer the melodies which frankly reproduced a certain passion. He also set most store by them. And yet she did not hesitate to show her lack of sympathy with certain rude harmonies which seemed quite natural to Christophe. They gave her a sort of shock when she came upon them. She would stop then and ask if it was really so. When he said yes, then she would rush at the difficulty but she would make a little grimace which did not escape Christophe. Sometimes, even, she would prefer to skip the bar. Then he would play it again on the piano. "'You don't like that?' he would ask. She would screw up her nose. "'It is wrong,' she would say. "'Not at all,' he would reply with a laugh. "'It is quite right. Think of its meaning. It is rhythmic, isn't it?' he pointed to her heart. But she would shake her head. "'Maybe.' but it is wrong here. She pulled her ear, and she would be a little shocked by the sudden outbursts of German declamation. Why should he talk so loud? She would ask. He is all alone. Aren't you afraid of his neighbors overhearing him? It is as though, forgive me, you won't be angry? He were helling a boat. He was not angry. He laughed heartily. He recognized that there was some truth in what she said, her remarks amused him. Nobody had ever said such things before. They agreed that declamation in singing generally deforms the natural word like a magnifying glass. Corinne asked Christophe to write music for a piece in which she would speak to the accompaniment of the orchestra, singing a few sentences every now and then. He was fired by the idea in spite of the difficulties of the stage setting which, he thought, Corinne's musical voice would easily overcome and they made plans for the future. It was not far short of five o'clock when they thought of going out. Night fell early. They could not think of going for a walk. Corinne had a rehearsal at the theater in the evening. Nobody was allowed to be present. She made him promise to come and fetch her during the next afternoon to take the walk they had planned. End of section 46